it's not just the executive control functioning of our brain, which is in the prefrontal cortex. It's what does all our decision making. And you think of a business executive that has to make critical decisions and be focused and plan and do all this. But then you have other business people or the more creative types in the art world, for example, that have these amazing ideas. And what we know is we need both of these functions. And what happens when we transcend in TM is we actually enliven both of these areas together. And it's very, very unique. Most activities, either you're focused on one or the other. Welcome back to the All Things Connected podcast, where we go in-depth on the most pressing and fascinating issues of today with experts in their field. This is Jared Hawking. Well, there's certainly a lot going on in the world right now, and people might be feeling quite stressed or quite optimistic or somewhere in between. And in my life, I have experienced this as well, but I've also discovered a practice to truly make sense of it all and to get to a better place, no matter what state the world is in. And that practice is meditation. Now, you might be listening to this and think that you don't have time in the day or that meditation is something practiced in solitude by Buddhist monks in Tibet or that you've tried it before and just cannot get into it. And I've felt all of those things in my life before as well. But then I discovered a mindfulness meditation app that has truly changed my life. And that is the Waking Up course. As my guest today and I discuss, many people are aware that profound physical transformations are entirely possible in their lives. But they're not aware, or many of us are not aware, that almost all the suffering in our lives is a product of our thoughts. And if we can get to a higher state of consciousness, which transcendental meditation enables, or change the relationship to our thoughts, which mindfulness meditation can enable, well, then we can experience profound transformations of our mind as well. With that prelude, today I am speaking with Mark Bunn. Mark is the CEO of the David Lynch Foundation for Australia. He is a longtime public speaker and meditation teacher who has practiced transcendental meditation for over 30 years. Today, we largely talk about transcendental meditation, or TM, as it's commonly known, which is practiced by many creatives and celebrities, including Jerry Seinfeld, Katy Perry, Russell Brand, Ray Dalio, and David Lynch, amongst others. We also discuss the types of meditation practices available, what distinguishes transcendental meditation from other practices, the four states of consciousness, and how TM enables individuals to access higher states. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you find it valuable. And without further delay, I bring you Mark Bunt. All right, I'm here with Mark Bunn in Australia, connecting from all the way around the world and uh, two people who didn't know each other before today. Mark, it's really a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for joining. Pleasure to be here, Jared, and uh, look forward to the conversation. Yes, and much much to discuss here, and I'm excited uh, to get your, your perspectives on a number of, of topics. Um, and I want to talk about these topics, uh, especially meditation in great detail, but let's start with a fairly simple question before diving deeper. How would you define meditation and what are some of the types of meditation practices that are available? Yeah, it's a really interesting question because 40 or 50 years ago, a little bit before my time, but there were very few meditations in the uh, global landscape and meditation was often seen as this practice that, you know, if you wanted to do, you had to almost escape society you had to become reclusive or meditation was only the domain of you know monks that would go off into the caves of the Himalayas and and there was a few different sort of meditation teachers around Parahamansa Yogananda and things like that so Mahashi Mahesh Yogi was the founder of transcendental meditation and he came out of the Himalayas in the late 1950s and at that point it was in terms of a western culture when he came out to the west it was one of the few techniques. And of course, now going forward 50 years, we have meditation everywhere. Nearly everyone I know speaks about meditation, but it's become very generic. And so people will often, you know, go for a walk down the beach or they'll listen to their favorite music and they'll say, oh, that's my meditation. And so it's really changed the landscape where meditation today has really become a generic term, much like 
food. You know, we all eat food, but there's a very big difference between eating a wholesome, natural food diet versus a, you know, a, a processed food diet. And so, yeah, there's a whole science into three distinct types of meditation that neuroscience has discovered now that we can understand the different brain changes and the physiological outcomes being quite different depending on which type of meditation we do. So is that something you want to go into now? Or is it, I'd... Yeah, let's do it. I uh, I packed a lot, a lot in there. Let's, uh, yeah. let's share for our listeners your expertise on these different types of meditation. And perhaps this could be a a segue to, to talking about which I'm, I'm sure you will mention transcendental meditation and how it's differentiated from the other forms of meditation. Yeah, no, great. So being a topic of interest, obviously, from a scientific standpoint over the last couple of decades, that different mental activities must and should produce different outcomes within the brain. So what scientists have discovered over the last few years is that when it comes to meditation, it falls into three distinct categories. The first one is what they've called focused attention. And this is often, you know, people at the end of a yoga class or, you know, in Hollywood traditionally, it's been this idea of trying to clear the mind. And the understanding was initially was that thoughts are a barrier or an obstruction to meditation. And so the idea is you're trying to clear your mind or clear the thoughts, stop the thoughts from coming in. And of course, we know that's very difficult to do. You know, it's very hard to stop your thoughts. And so what happens in the brain with these activities is fundamentally or predominantly what's called gamma brain waves, about 20 to 50 um, cycles. And it's correlated with activity, you know, because the, the mind is active. And the second type is called open monitoring. And so an analogy at this point is really good. One of my meditation mentors is Bob Roth. And Bob's the uh, meditation advisor to people like Hugh Jackman and Katy Perry, Lady Gaga, Jerry Seinfeld, Ray Dalio, a very successful businessman, Adriana. You're in good company. Yeah. And so he's he's had a lot of, lot of years dealing with very high success individuals and um, sort of helping them on the path. And, and the analogy that he uses, which stems from Mahashi Mahashyogi's analogy, is of the mind and the ocean. And so when we think of an ocean, on the surface of an ocean, it might be really rough, lots of waves, lots of activity, lots of turbulence. And we might think if we're sitting in a little boat that the ocean is in turmoil but as he says, he says, if we're able to go down below the waves and dive deep, we'd find if we got to the very bottom of the ocean, the ocean would in fact be completely calm, silent, steady. And so what's important is what level of the ocean we're at. And it's the same with the mind. The surface level of the mind, many people today experience in the busyness of life that the mind seems agitated all these thoughts and they're crashing and bashing and I've got to do this and I've got to do that and I've got to remember where my list of what I have to do is and and the mind becomes very turbulent and we think that's the nature of the mind to always think and jump from one thought to another but he says if we can allow the mind to settle down and experience finer and finer levels of awareness and eventually transcend all thought, then it's like getting to the bottom of the ocean. At the bottom of the mind or the deepest levels of the mind, it's completely calm and silent. So in the second form of meditation, what's called open monitoring by scientists, the understanding is rather than trying to control the thoughts, which is like trying to control the waves on the ocean, which is impossible, we just dispassionately observe the thoughts. And so this is where practices such as mindfulness fit in. And so many people have received so many benefits from mindfulness over the last few years. And it's not they're trying to control their thoughts. They're just as if dispassionately witnessing the thoughts. And it's as if in the analogy, we just duck down a little bit below the waves. So instead of being gripped or sort of knocked around by the waves, we're under the waves 
looking at them. And so this, in terms of the research, creates fundamentally theta brainwave activity. It's a slower brainwave activity, four to six cycles. It's sort of like the pre-onset of dreams, but it involves when we're still active in some way with the mind. But all a good circuit breaker in our busy lives. You know, people experience less anxiety with these types of meditation. So it has some good effects. Before you go on to transcendental meditation, I'm curious, these patterns of brain change that you're describing and those positive effects, do those carry forward after the meditation? Can you observe long-term changes from someone who has begun to meditate in, the, in either of those first two modalities? I haven't seen anything in the literature as yet. Generally, it's fairly acute changes. Focused attention, because it's quite an active form of meditation, the mind is busy, it actually correlates a lot with general waking state activity. And so mindfulness, I would suspect there is some some changes that carry on into activity, but they would be fairly short-term, I would suspect. And so Mm. the third type of meditation is something what the scientists call automatic self-transcendence. And so this is where such as transcendental meditation fits in. And the word transcendental meditation is interesting because transcend means to go beyond. And so, in fact, the word meditation today, we know, means, you know, if you meditate on something, you think about something, you ruminate on something, and it's if you need to have the mind active to meditate. Whereas the traditional understanding from what's called the Vedic tradition of India, which is where Mahashi Mahasyogi was trained, the idea is that you want to go beyond the activity of the mind. You want to transcend it. You actually don't want to think, you want to get to the source of thought because underlying all thought is what they call the ocean of consciousness, pure consciousness, atma, transcendental consciousness. And this is like the, if you like, the seed of creation. This is where all thought, all ideas, all physical energy, intelligence, creativity stems from according to the Vedic tradition, which modern science is now backing up in terms of its unified field theories of quantum physics. So back to our analogy, instead of being knocked around by the waves on the surface of the ocean, or even ducking down and sort of settling down below the surface of the ocean and observing the waves, we actually as if like we take an anchor and we drop anchor and through a specific sound called a mantra that you're given with TM, the mind is effortlessly allowed to settle down deeper and deeper and deeper as if to the bottom of the ocean. And so we experience on one level deep rest physiologically, but also on the level of the mind, the mind stays completely alert or awake. And so we have a unique experience, what they call restful alertness. So body deep rest, which allows it to get rid of any deep stresses that are blocking the obstruction of its full mental and creative potential. But on the level of awareness, we remain alert, awake. And so this definitely gets carried into activity. So your earlier question, do the benefits get carried into activity? And that is absolutely yes. And so the ultimate expression of this restful alertness state in activity is what we call the zone state. You know, people will be familiar with athletes, you know, that get into the zone and perform at a very high level, but without stress, without effort. You know, it's automatic, it's spontaneous. They just know which way to Mm -hmm. run or where the ball's going to bounce. Artists, you know, musicians, painters, sculptors know that there's a flow state. And so our best performances, our highest performances, are correlated with this sort of um, dual activity, dynamic outward activity, but with their inner state of more rest, more calm, more alertness, more focus. And this translates into a brainwave activity, which is alpha brainwave activity. And so in automatic self-transcendence, in transcendental meditation, you get this unique state where there's alpha brainwaves, alpha-1 brainwaves in the front of the brain. And um, this is 
quite unique and um, it's representative of this state of, of both deep rest but also alertness. So um, they're the three different different types. Excellent. That is very interesting. And I love that you tied in the neurophysiological responses to each of these. So much there to get into. But one thing that I would like to hear about, which, you know, I think sometimes these discussions can sound maybe a little bit scientific and perhaps abstract. So I wanted to, I do want to get into some more of the research on TM, which I have seen from Dr. John Hagelin, which is truly astounding in terms of the benefits to to one's life and well-being from transcendental meditation. But for you personally, you've been practicing for 30 years. What benefits have have you seen that meditation has given to you and you know how has it transformed your life? Well, firstly, thank you for the question because in all honest, honesty, I uh, prefer to keep away from too much of the scientific research myself. I always... Uh, <laughs> love to talk about the experiences and uh, case studies, and because uh, that's where what we, you know, we live life to enjoy it, not to uh, analyze research. So, uh, yeah, no, I learned I learned almost exactly thirty years ago today. I was a teenager, and I was playing professional sports. So, um, I know a lot of your audience um, from America and Europe maybe not familiar with the Australian professional football, but it's a mix of um, gridiron and basketball and probably a little bit of rugby, but we don't have padding. So there's no there's no helmets and there's no padding, but we still have full contact tackling. Wow. Um, and we run a, a field that's about three times as big as a gridiron field. A lot of aerobics, very aerobic, a lot of skill. And so at, as a teenager, I was playing in the professional ranks, but I wasn't, I was by no means a, a great player. You know, I was just sort of right on the edge and I had to look for every avenue I could to get an advantage. So in my first season, I actually learned transcendental meditation. I was um, recommended to me by another professional athlete who was in fact my brother-in-law. So, And the benefits I had were just firstly just managing the stress. You know, anyone who's at an elite level, whether it's sport or business or, you know, just a busy family life, it's just that getting on top of the stress so the stress doesn't overshadow your decision-making. That was really, really beneficial. And then also the recovery. You know, everything about sport and business today is about the recovery. You know, we can certainly go hard and focus on an activity and push ourselves to achieve a result. To do that consistently and have sustained success, we know we need to improve the recovery in between bursts of activity. And so that's what I really noticed as well. My just fitness, I was more efficient in my training. I'd recover quicker between training sessions and matches. And I also just, probably the third real benefit was just a expansion of my awareness. So when I was young, I was very narrow. You know, football was everything. And so if I didn't play well at football, I'd be quite down or depressed. Whereas the meditation just expanded my awareness of life so it was a bigger worldview so that football didn't take up so so much of it so I could get pleasure in other things so uh, my performance at football wasn't sort of the be all and end all of my my existence and therefore my happiness so uh, and I think this is something that many people talk about with transcendental meditation particularly because it is you're transcending you're going beyond the mind it's like you get a holiday twice a day from all the sort of uh, stresses and worries of life and then you come back into activity with a whole new perspective where you're not gripped by things so much so um yeah that were the, the key things for me wow and you you've been able to make this a daily practice a you do tm twice per day i do it twice per day yeah no i just i just it was probably that time of my life at 19 and it was so important for my professional career at the time playing football and then into sort of building a business that it just became part of my routine and I've just yeah I almost have never missed a missed a meditation in all those years and and the beauty of it with TM particularly and I know I, I talk mainly about TM but that's obviously what I have chosen as my sort of core meditation technique but you're self-sufficient you, you know once you have your mantra and you've learnt the, the course it's a four-day course about an hour hour and a half each day 
you're self-sufficient. You have your mantra and you can do it anywhere. It's the beauty of it. You can do it on an aeroplane, which I have to do a lot. You know, you can park the car on the side of the road and meditate in the car or bed at home. And um, so, uh, yeah, it's really, really easy to do once you can sort of get it into the, the routine of life. So, Mark, for someone who's listening to this and maybe maybe this could be a person like you described earlier who thinks that, well, playing the piano is my meditation or, or journaling is my meditation or even maybe doesn't have a practice like that who is just very busy with their lives and, you know, is potentially a successful person already or, or just anyone. What, how would you describe to them what they're missing from meditation and why they should start this practice? First point I would suggest is that all these activities are absolutely fantastic. Again, neuroscience is showing, you know, the benefits of, you know, learning a new musical instrument such as the piano or, you know, regular daily exercise and, you know, listening to certain types of music. So all these things are great, as are different forms of meditation. And this is another point. You know, 20 years ago, I'm also trained as a um, personal trainer, you know, health and fitness. And so 20, 25 years ago, when I started my career, we would generally recommend aerobic or cardiovascular training. You know, that was fitness. You need to go for a jog or a run or a walk. But today we know that it's not just enough to do, you know, aerobic or cardiovascular training. You need to do some flexibility training and you also need to do strength training. And so this gives you a full physical benefit. And it's in a sense similar to the mental side of things. So mindfulness practices are fantastic. You know, visualization or affirmations can be great. Walking the dog, playing piano, all are very beneficial, but they're quite distinct from transcending. So transcendence has a very unique suite of benefits, both physically, mentally, and on the level of the brain. It actually gives us a much deeper level of rest physiologically. So it allows us to actually dissolve a lot of the deep-rooted stresses that collect in our nervous system. And from the Vedic perspective, the reason we are born is to evolve to what's called higher states of consciousness. And so throughout literature and time, people are aware that there are certain people that have achieved what we could think of as higher states of human existence, you know, saints or yogic masters or the enlightened, for want of a better term, you know, the Buddhas or Jesus or Muhammad. And And that's not an abstract thing. You know, when we think about altered states versus altered traits, when we're speaking about higher forms of consciousness, when you take a psychedelic drug, when you take LSD or psilocybin, you're state of consciousness is altered. And the same thing can be achieved through meditation. You can reach a higher level of consciousness. And this is is related to another question I had for you, where you described the, the four states of consciousness and how most people only experience three states. But I just want to point that out for our listeners that if this sounds abstract or woo-woo at all, that the states that you can access in meditation, especially deeper forms and especially on retreats, are akin to taking a, a, a psychedelic uh, a psychedelic drug. Well, yes, in some way. There's two points there. I'll come back to the drug point. But yes, exactly. These are not abstract states. And this is the beauty of science and neuroscience today, that neuroscience is now starting to map the physiological state associated with these higher states of consciousness. And this is what, in a sense, distinguishes states of consciousness. You know, we have three relative states of consciousness, Mahashi called them. We wake up in the morning, we're in waking state of consciousness. We go to sleep at night, we're in sleeping state of consciousness. We have dreams, we're in dreaming state of consciousness. Most people in the world today only live in these three states of consciousness for their whole life. When we transcend And as we discussed earlier, we transcend thought, we go to the source of thought, we experience this level of pure consciousness or transcendental consciousness. Dr. Keith Wallace at the UCLA way back in uh, the late 1960s showed for the first time that this state is actually a unique fourth state of consciousness based on what is happening physiologically in terms of metabolism and blood profiles, etc., etc. And what they're now doing 
um, Dr. Fred Travis and others at MIU in Fairfield, Iowa, are showing that these higher states, the fifth state of consciousness called cosmic consciousness, also has its very defined um, physiological correlates. And so definitely not abstract. It can be clearly, clearly shown now. But the point about drugs is a really interesting one. What Mahashi, as my understanding, I never met Mahashi, but my understanding when he was asked these questions about, you know, why do we meditate to get these experiences rather than just take a hallucinogenic drug? It is that although we can have a similar subjective experience at the time, you know, this expansion of the mind, so as if we sort of break through previous limiting beliefs or whatever, he says what is not always understood is what happens to the structure of the physiology. And that is the nervous system. So the original question, or what I started on, was this idea of dissolving the deep-rooted stresses in our nervous system. The idea being that as we evolve to higher states of consciousness, this is actually a physical process. Most of us think of this growth to higher states of consciousness as a mental thing. You know, the meditator sitting in the cave or doing long meditations. It's a spiritual activity. It's in the mind. But Mahashi said, no, it's actually a physical process. You have to dissolve the stresses in the nervous system because the stresses in the nervous system are what's blocking the body's natural potential. And so we all, every single one of us listening to this, already has infinite potential within them. It's like the sun. You know, the sun represents that cosmic light and energy. And the sun is always there. It's always shining. But if there's clouds blocking it, we don't experience it. And so we might say something like, oh, it's a cloudy day today. It's an overcast day and we get all depressed. But the sun is still there. It's still shining. It's just that something's blocking it. And so if we can remove the clouds, we get the sun. If we can remove the blockages and the stresses in our nervous system, then naturally, spontaneously, effortlessly, we experience our full creative potential. And this is what cosmic consciousness, the fifth state, is. And so drugs, although they can give us a temporary glimpse of that and often we come back into life and we have some more expanded thinking over time they can weaken the nervous system hallucinogenic drugs can impact negatively the actual physical structure of the nervous system so that we cannot maintain these states permanently so it's a bit like any drug you know we can get a, a temporary or a short-term benefit from a pharmaceutical pill but if we use them long term, it actually prevents the body from naturally creating the state of functioning to achieve the same result. Very interesting. And I learned something fairly profound through Transcendental Meditation, and it was put very well by a, a podcaster that I admire a lot. And he says on his, his app, he has a mindfulness meditation app. We know that physical changes are entirely possible. We know that we, we see movie stars who transform their body in a very short amount of time for a new role. And we see people who go through extraordinary physical transformations. But what many people don't realize is that those same transformations are available in, in our mind as well. And when you look at the research behind TM, you can see on the neurophysiological level that these states of consciousness that people who are practicing TM are developing are accessing those uh, those physiological changes in the brain. Obviously, I'm not <laughs> fully able, not being a neuroscientist or a as an expert in that field to speak to that, but there are videos like Dr. John Hagelin uh, mentions that he shares where he discusses that research. So just that point about the the changes in the brain and the changes to your mind and the way that your mind reacts to the stimuli and phenomena in the world are entirely possible. And many people go through life just being completely unaware of that. And the second thing I wanted to mention, we were talking about, you know, other practices, other activities in life, playing the piano or running, you know, things that are 
totally beneficial to you. What I've experienced is that you can't develop meditation skills. You can't develop the, the, the changes in the brain associated with that by jogging or by playing the piano. But having a formal meditation practice will translate to you being more optimized in those areas or, or in those activities. It's like you were describing with uh, football, with Aussie football, it enabled you to reduce your stress and to enter these flow states that make you, especially the research associated with concentration and enhanced focus, it really allows you to be better in those areas. So I think when we ask the question, why meditate? Why spend the time doing this? One of the answers is if you want to be at the peak of your performance in those activities, you should be meditating. It, it really transcends everything else. Beautiful. Yeah. I think that's really important the way you've framed that. And it's, it's meditation or transcending is a complement to all other activities in a sense. And an analogy that Mahashi uses is pulling an arrow back on a bow. And he says, you know, if we're an archer and we want to shoot an arrow with, you know, force and power and we need to pull it back first, you know, if you want to build a skyscraper hundreds of feet in the air, then first you have to dig down. And the deeper you dig, the higher you can build the building. The further you pull the arrow back, the faster and with more power you can shoot it. And it's this eternal principle of rest and activity. You know, in the West, we're very conscious of the activity portion. You know, we've got to do more and we've got to work harder and we've got to go, go, go. But the understanding and what transcending gives us is it gives us the, the rest portion. And so this is where not only we actually get the seeds of the strength and the clarity and the concentration and the decision-making. But also what science is now showing is we access what's called the genius lounge in our brain. And I did a, uh, a podcast of my own with Bob Roth the other day, who I mentioned earlier, and he was talking about, about this, how um, it's not just the executive control functioning of our brain, which is in the sort of prefrontal cortex. It's what does all our decision-making. And you think of a business executive that has to make critical decisions and be focused and plan and do all this. But then you have other business people or the more creative types in the art world, for example, that have these amazing ideas. And what we know is we need both of these functions. And what happens when we transcend in TM is we actually enliven both of these areas together and it's very, very unique. Most activities, either you're focused on one or the other. When we're busy and we're active and we're planning and we're coming up with new ideas, it's prefrontal cortex. When we're in the shower or we're going for our walk and we've sort of got our mind tuned off, we're in a more mindful, mindless state, we activate the default mode network or this sort of creative part of the brain. But when we transcend in meditation, we actually have a, a seamless flow of communication between the two, which is really, really unique. So, um, but no, I love the way you've put that. Yeah. And I just add that it's like a complement to all activity. If we're rested and we're clear and we're in this, can access that fourth state of consciousness, this restful alertness, then we come back out into whatever activity it is, you know, running the family, running the business, walking, playing the piano, and we do it with more mind-body coordination and uh, insight. So uh, it's the way life should be. Mm -hmm. I'm really curious to ask you this, Mark. Is it possible that certain types of meditation could make sense, more sense for certain people? For someone who deals with anger issues or wants to minimize that and and notice those emotions and, and feelings as they come up, perhaps rather than maximize their creative potential or IQ, is it possible that mindfulness meditation might be more suited for that per first person with, with anger issues and transcendental meditation might be more or suited for the second person? Yeah, no, again, a great question. My answer is that we have to think of transcendental meditation almost like a completely different activity and you touched on this earlier the the word transcend is really important when we transcend we're actually going beyond thought so we're experiencing the the source of thought it's like we're resetting the computer you imagine your computer and it's been running for a few years and you haven't had it serviced and you're starting to get a few bugs in it it's not running 
you take it to the computer man or woman, the genius, and they reset. It's like a, a reboot of the whole system. So the whole thing just works better. And so transcending is really a non-negotiable. If you really want peak performance, so it's like dissolving those deep-rooted stresses that are obstructing the body's natural performance and potential. Ideally, everyone transcends. It's like just a, a non-negotiable can't do without it. And then on top of that, it's not that that's all you do. It's then on top of that, you do selective activities that are most appropriate for what you want to achieve, just as you are outlining. So if something more intellectual is the outcome, then you might do a meditation or an app or something more focused on that. If, you know, getting rid of anger or being more peaceful or da 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 da, then you might do different types of mindfulness meditation or other forms of meditation or whatever on top of that. So it's it's a case of doing multiple activities rather than just one. But TM or transcending in particular, in really from a scientific perspective, and as you were talking about, in the way it can rewire the brain in a sense, the neuroplasticity of restructuring the brain is quite a distinct activity. So uh, that's the way I would see it. Yeah. And I, I feel like TM might require, what's that saying? Good things come to those who wait. I, mm. I feel like TM might require more patience than potentially some of these these other modalities. That's That's been my experience is that TM, you really, in the beginning, it, it can be a little bit frustrating because you feel like you're not making progress. You, you go you know 20 minutes in a session and you couldn't hold the mantra for very long. You kept being interrupted by thoughts. But over time, you start to access those deeper levels of consciousness. And I do think maybe one of the reasons for the rise of the popularity in these apps, in terms of mindfulness, it's a little bit easier to access quickly to, to have someone interrupt that flow of thoughts with recentering on the breath or recentering on another object of, of focus. And but but that anything that is worth doing is is going to take some time. So that's a related question that I have for you is, you know, how long does it take someone typically to realize the benefits of TM after they start and and um, how long does it take to really become proficient at this practice? In a sense, in that question, we're comparing apples with oranges. And so your point about mindfulness and sometimes in mindfulness or other meditations, we have a quicker experience of some sort of benefit. And you were talking about within the meditation itself. And so the really critical understanding, and this is why people sh who are interested in transcendental meditation should always learn from a certified teacher. And um, we can give the information on that at the end. But with TM, and this is the really critical piece that Mahashi brought out, is that the 20 minutes that you practice the TM, either in the morning or the evening, we're not looking for any particular experience in that 20 minutes. So we're not, it's very hard to compare the benefits of TM within the practice to some other form of meditation because that's not the purpose of TM. It's, TM is like, is transcending. We're not analyzing the experience within the 20 minutes. We're actually doing it to improve the rest of our life. So we meditate for 20 minutes so that the rest of our day, we have more energy, we have more clarity, we make better decisions, we're not so stressed. It's a bit like having a shower in the morning. You go in and have a shower for a few minutes so that you feel clean and refreshed so that you can perform better for the rest of the day. You don't get in the shower and analyze, oh, am I feeling cleaner? Um, am I getting rid of this little bit of dirt? You know, I got this smell um, when I was rolling around with the kids on the floor the other day. and so we don't analyze the actual shower. We just get in, wash, and then it improves our day. And it's the same with TM. So when we analyze the benefits of TM, we analyze them in activity. And this is why it's so much on the brain research and, you know, better health outcomes and reduced blood pressure and all those sorts of things. So um, it's a little bit different. And so that's why we do TM sort of like I'm getting to this idea of we just, once you get into the routine of it, it just becomes a part of your day, like having a shower. You don't even think about it. And the benefits just accumulate over time. And this is sort of the answer 
to your question. Because everyone has a different nervous system, different physiological stresses, some have had very traumatic upbringings with a lot of stress or maybe even abuse. Others have had a much sort of smoother life, you know, less stress, less trauma. And so the benefits will be quite distinct and different for every individual. So we can't, one can't know what the benefits, you know, at one month, you're going to get this benefit at three months. But most people in my experience, and again, the anecdotal evidence is that right from the very first few days of learning TM, the benefits come. And often it's where there's more stress or more trauma. Part of my role with the David Lynch Foundation is that we teach TM to those that have experienced extreme trauma, you know, war veterans that are, you know, nightmares of war, um, domestic violence sufferers, you know, kids from really troubled and violent backgrounds. And they're the most rewarding because the contrast of what they're experiencing and the, and the stress in their nervous system to that ability to transcend is really like day and night, you know, and so we see the benefits right from day one. People that can't sleep, one Mm -hmm. of the most common benefits of TM is that within the first few days, by the end of the course in most instances, people that have been unable to sleep, insomnia for often years and years and years, get their first really good night's sleep. So, um, yeah, so there's no distinct, no definitive answer. You know, the benefits will change. Someone who's had a very stress-free life, if you like, you know, that that's a very confident, well, sort of uh, successful person, you know, learns transcendental meditation. They enjoy it. You know, they feel sort of subtle benefits, but it's not like it's changed their life from one day to the next. So, uh, yeah, different for everyone. That's that's really remarkable. And I've had multiple people who have seen that research uh, re- regarding especially the people with PTSD and with insomnia, the the rapidity with which that can dissolve through TM is is just remarkable. And let's, uh, you know, I, I think it would be just our, our pitch here for, <laughs> for for those that are still maybe questionable or, or want to look into this further. You know, everyone is concerned with aging and aging is something that is inevitable for for all of us. But one of the things that I took away from this video, which we will definitely put in the show notes uh, from from Dr. John Hagelin, who is a theoretical physicist and one of the kind of voices of the TM movement, is that uh, apparently in this longitudinal research study, uh, uh, the gold standard, the uh, randomized control trial, for those that were practicing TM for five years or longer, they had Health, a health makeup essentially there was like someone who was 12 years younger on average. And so that, that's just remarkable. And along with the PTSD research they share, anything else that, uh, you want to summarize or share regarding research into TM that's, that's really caught your eye or has encouraged someone to start? Well, no, well, I think that one on aging is a really, um, important one that you've touched on because it, it, uh, is an example of what happens in TM, you know, when we are in these three relative states of function, we spoke about waking, dreaming, sleeping. It's like the body's always, there's there's an activity there. And, you know, we can think of it as friction. You know, we know from a scientific perspective, you know, biologists and things will talk us about if there's friction, there's wear and tear, you know, and that's where the body starts to, over time, when we get to our 30s and 40s and 50s, break down and become less efficient. And so transcending, we're going beyond that. And so when their mind experiences that fourth state of functioning, it's beyond the sphere of wear and tear. It's at that frictionless level. And this is, you know, the zone state or the flow state, our peak performance state are these frictionless flow of activity. It's where the body functions without that stress. So it doesn't have that wear and tear. And so this correlation with, with, you know, meditators transcending for more than five years, 12 years less biological age, it's a really great overall sort of indicator of all that. And that's why I think if you're looking for one specific research finding, my feeling is it's it's all the research as a collective. And often in introductory talks when we when we have in TM centers about 
TM, you know, we go through the research and how it improves, you know, physical functioning and then mental and reduced anxiety and da 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 da. And then people, you're they're almost you're almost seeing them thinking, well, how can this one technique do all of this, you know? And, and it's mm-hmm. like, and it's because of that transcendence, because you're getting to the actual source of everything. My favorite analogy of all of Mahashi's is the analogy of a tree. And he has this analogy that if you want a tree to be healthy and strong and robust with beautiful green leaves and beautiful juicy fruit, whether it's a mango tree or an apple tree, he says you don't water the leaves or the branches or the fruit. You water the root. And so even though we can't see the roots from above, you know, they lie underground, it's the roots of a tree that nourish and support the whole tree. We can spend one or two minutes a day watering what we can't see, the roots, and the whole tree flourishes. It's strong, it's robust, green leaves, beautiful, juicy fruit that nourishes us. Or we can race around all day with all these water cans, watering every branch and every leaf and every flower, and the tree will die. And so this is transcendental meditation in a nutshell. As Mahashi says, to enjoy the fruit, water the root. So a few minutes a day is our investment. It's effortless, and this is the other research, not so much a research finding, but um, just subjective experience, which is so beautiful with TM, whereas focused attention, you know, it's quite demanding mentally. Even mindfulness has a certain level of effort that's required um, on the mind with TM, completely effortless, that transcending. And so the result is water the root, enjoy the fruit, and we get all the benefits. So I think it's a collective of what happens in the brain. Therefore, we get all benefits, you know, mental, sp- spiritual, emotional, all at the one time, I think is the real, the real standout. Hmm. Excellent. That's, that's really beautiful. And you couldn't paint really a, a more precise uh or holistic picture of equanimity than Maharishi Yogi. And you are, you are up there as well, Mark. I I feel like (laughs) TM, uh, you know, just brings out those deeper and higher states of consciousness and that equanimity and, and gratitude. So that's, that's a really great place, I think, for us to wrap up our discussion on on meditation. I hope this has been valuable to our listeners. I have a tradition on the show of asking Every, every guest, at least two of the same questions that I ask everyone. So I want to start with, with one for you. If you could meet anyone who's ever lived, and maybe it's, maybe it's someone we've already talked about in this conversation, but it could be, it could be anyone uh, and just spend the day with them, who would that person be? Uh, without doubt, it would be Mahashi Mahesh Yogi. I'm glad when you first <laughs> posing the question, I thought it was going to be anyone who was alive today, but uh, Mahashi passed away in 2008 and uh yeah i never got to meet him many of uh my sort of colleagues and uh those that have had also learnt tm uh years ago many of them had had met him and uh yeah it was always a great insight for me to uh sort of pick their brains on it so yeah definitely be uh mahashi mahesh yogi and uh probably as a secondary one there's a, a man who basically is is Mahashi's successor. So when Mahashi passed away, he wanted to have a group of people basically to keep disseminating the knowledge and, you know, getting the research out there on the benefits of transcending. And uh, and so he selected a man called Dr. Tony Nader, who's a worldwide neuroscientist and uh, PhD doctor that um, – is like the chief administer of uh, of things, so uh, he'd also be a very fascinating man to sit down with and uh, pick his brain. So uh, yeah, probably uh, probably those two. <laughs> well, TM has really really transformed you. Then I mean, it's uh it's become a a passion project for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if our all of our listeners will know, but. Maharishi was very instrumental and influential on the Beatles and especially George Harrison's a spiritual renaissance that he had and ultimately becoming a very spiritual person. Uh, you know, there's that story about them um, going to visit Maharishi and 
spending weeks on end, basically taking a break from, from music to meditate with him. Do you, do you know, uh, do you have any interesting insights from, from that story? The, probably the most interesting thing I think is just the fact that they have continued their practice, um, for so long, obviously all the Beatles learned back then. And obviously John and George no longer, but, um, both Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr, um, still practice TM every day, twice a day. Um, so they're up to about 50 years now, both of them. Um, John Lennon's wow. son, I believe Sean learnt, um, TM a few years ago and both Paul and Ringo, um, are fantastic because they still support very much the David Lynch Foundation. So they'll often go and perform at the fundraising events for the David Lynch Foundation and, uh, yeah, they're really, really behind it. So um, I think that's probably what most interesting. It's um, yeah, something that they've kept up for for fifty years, and um, and as they say, it's been a real sort of foundation for their ability to to be so creative and um, so successful for for so long. So um, yeah, interesting. Wow, I didn't know that. That's mm. super interesting. Thank you for for sharing that. I uh, I didn't know that Paul and Ringo were still keeping up that practice. Mm. So last question, Mark, and then we'll share where our, our listeners can connect with you more on. If there's a recommendation that you have, just, just one recommendation for either a book or a movie or a podcast or an article, something, something that's been very uh, transformative for you, what, what would you share with our listeners? <laughs> I'm going to sound like a broken record here, and I, I, I'll pre-frame it. Um, I guess that, um, um, as I tried to allude to earlier, it's it's not that you know TM is everything. Um, it's it's absolutely essential that we do have other things in our life, and you know, music and art and music. But I guess um, the reason you've got me on the show is because of you know we wanted to dive down and to explore this whole area of transcending but to me um yeah transcendence is it's everything it's the missing piece in the puzzle you know we don't have to look far in the world today you know we see riots we see upheaval in our environment you know our weather patterns everything is what we could say out of tune or in violation of what's called natural law Mahashi spoke a lot about natural law that, you know, there's certain laws of nature that govern life. If we live individually and collectively in tune with those laws, everything works as it's designed to. You know, we flow. We have good health individually because things are flowing. Collectively, we live in tune with the seasons and the daily cycles and we have harmony between the nations and the sea and the environment. And so... um I would, two things came to me. One was um, Bob Roth's book, um, which is called Strength in Stillness. Um, it's a great insight into this whole, you know, the scientific difference between all the different types of meditation and transcendence and some really great personal anecdotes with sort of um, high achievers. And then my other favorite book, I always used to think, um, you know, that question people ask you, if your house was burning down and you could only take one possession, you know, what would you take? Um, I would take Mahashi's book. He wrote a book. It's a commentary on what's called the Bhagavad Gita. The Bhagavad Gita is a very famous spiritual text that's, I, I believe, has been the most commented on book of all time. There's been more commentaries on that book than any other book ever and Mahashi again has this unique take on it but it, it's it's just a beautiful book because it's just the essence of life you know it's Arjuna on the battlefield he's faced with this dilemma of um, you know war whether he sides with his family and his kin or what he believes is the right thing to do which is his dharma and it's it's sort of a epic that is based on our lives you know everything in our life is the decision do we do this or do we do that and it basically is the solution to that, you know, what we have to do to, to be able to solve these sort of um, seemingly insoluble problems. So, um, yeah, Mahashi's um, commentary on the Bhagavad Gita was uh, probably the, 
the left field answer to that question. <laughs> so, so you would recommend the commentary before the actual book? Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah. Well, it goes okay. through. It still gives you the the essence of the book, um, but then Mahashi's commentary on it. So um, you get it at the same time. So, um, yeah, and no, that's beautiful. I've also read Maharishi's book on transcendental meditation. I, I don't remember the actual name of that, but it it's kind of like a thin gold book with a picture of him on the cover, you know, describing uh, transcendental meditation. What One thing that you said struck me when you were giving the prelude to your answer in that so many of these problems that we see in the world, Maharishi believed were because of the, were a product of people operating at lower states of consciousness and at that kind of very reactive level. And if we could only all learn meditation and, and transcend, the world would be, we would be in harmony, we would be in, in peace, and we would have more folks like you and Maharishi and people creating peace in the world. So that's, uh, that's the hope. I actually just uh, wrote a blog post today, a very short one, just about picturing what the the future looks like and create painting that vision and in very much the spirit of John Lennon's imagine you know imagining mm. a a better world and it's it's entirely possible that's the thing that I've always always stood by is that these changes are not impossible that we need to make moving towards a, a world of more love and more kindness and more acceptance and harnessing the energy of the the sun and the wind rather than you know, destroying our, our planet and many, many other things are entirely possible. And one book I might recommend, I, I might have, um, if, if anyone ever asked me this question, I would recommend maybe Steven Pinker's book, Enlightenment Now, because he, he talks about in there, he makes the case that we really have made a tremendous progress as a society. And even though things aren't perfect in many respects, I, I think a hundred years from now, maybe we will have reached that point that Maharishi would would look out at society and and be proud of. So mm. I, I know if we learn this practice, that will be the case. Beautiful. Yeah. And well, to leave on a high note, apparently just before his passing in 2008, Maharishi said that the future of the world is bright and that is my delight. Um, he um, predicted predicted things in the world often decades ahead of when they happened. And uh, interesting when you said if when more and more people, when we all meditate, the world will be different. But um, he actually also predicted many years in advance that when 1% of a population transcend or do TM, that the whole population would change this critical mass in terms of, you know, traffic accidents and seasonal, you know, weather patterns and stock markets. So it's not even that all of us have to meditate, just having 1%, and this has now been shown scientifically. In fact, scientists called it the Mahashi effect after Mahashi Mahishogi in many US cities in the world back in the 1970s show that when this small percentage of a group meditate, because it creates what we call collective coherence, that the whole population benefits. So, um, yeah, no, um, I believe that he thinks that we're in it now, what they call the phase transition and this whole COVID-19 and the year 2020 is a big part of it, that we're actually in the middle of this major phase transition now where the world's changing from, you know, this sort of economies being the basis of all our decision-making towards these sort of unraveling and going to more spiritual sort of basis of um, of sort of world governance and um yeah there's a big shift happening so i don't think it's going to be uh too long hopefully so um that's what you're doing with your podcast and getting these sort of messages out is really really important so uh we uh, thank you also for uh, for what you're doing oh well that's that's very kind of you thank you mark yeah we um spreading knowledge and and spreading practices of of higher consciousness is definitely a, a good work that we're both doing. So I, I'm so appreciative of, of your time and we'll have to, you know, there's so much that you're knowledgeable about. Maybe we'll get you on another episode if you have time, but uh, why don't we end just by sharing with our listeners where they can connect with you on? Yeah. So they can connect with me on my website, which is Mark Bun, B-U-N-N dot com dot A-U. 
um, that has everything from, you know, meditation information to uh, books and online programs and speaking opportunities. Um, and for those who may be interested specifically in the Transcendental Meditation, um, the website for that is tm.org, so just .org, um, and that's an international site, so they can get on there and then select their country and uh, get more information from there. So, um, yeah, that's it, markbun.com.au or um, tm.org. Well, Mark, this has uh, been such a pleasure. Thank you again. If you're enjoying the All Things Connected podcast, there's many ways you can show your support. You can write a review on Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher, wherever you listen. You can share it with a friend or talk about it on your own podcast. You can post about it on social media, such as sharing your favorite episode, or you can support it directly on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash all things connected. Thank you very much. Your support is much appreciated.